Welcome to the Teaching Excellence podcast, hosted by me, Steph Wilkinson, quality improvement specialist and wellbeing fanatic, interested in how we provide high quality education. I'm interested in culture, innovation, and how we use evidence-informed practice to really make a difference. I'm joined each week by people doing great things in education to share their experiences and freshest thinking with you all. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Teaching Excellence podcast. Um, It's been a while um, and I suppose it's just been a period of time where I haven't really been drawn to doing the podcast. I'm not sure why. I've wanted to and then not wanted to. I think it's just because there's been so much going on. But I have exciting news. The exciting news is that I've managed to talk Isla Flood into being my co-host once a month. And so I'm super excited. So hi, Isla. Hello. I'm like muting and unmuting because there's a really loud aeroplane in the sky above me, but I'm excited to be here. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. The sun is shining. I'm happy. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, I know. And just to timestamp it, we I don't always... Um, but it's Easter Saturday and we just thought, why not? Let's get going. Um, but Isla, before we do, before we launch into, um, we're just going to do like a free flowing conversation today um, just to get um, series four of the podcast off the ground. It might even be series five. That's how I roll. Don't always check all the details. Um, but before we do get going, introduce yourself well yeah okay so my name's Isla um I work at uh, FE College in the West Midlands I'm a um ESOL coordinator teacher and I'm a teaching and learning coach um I work part-time so it means I've got a day to do some freelance stuff so I do some writing and um different projects involving coaching and creating materials and different things like that at the moment I'm seconded and I'm not really coordinating very much and I'm working on a project to make some online online resources so yeah that's me ESOL teacher really that's what I am ESOL in English yeah and I just love that because um we're quite we're quite different in terms of our like experience of FE Um, but also have some real similarities. So I'm hoping we'll like draw on all of those as we go along. Um, Just a bit of backstory, and this has just sprung to mind, but Isla and I met in lockdown. And although we were aware of each other online, I think, I think we were. You're my online friend. That's what my daughter (laughs) says. You're like, oh, you met her online. (laughs) Yeah, and then we met um, in the first lockdown, so March 2020, and just have always um, found something to talk about or laugh about, actually. So (laughs) I'm excited for some of that to spill into the podcast. Um, So yeah, let's let's just talk about what we've been up to in the last month, because so much has been going on, and it's it's quite I don't know about you I feel like this is there's a bit of a I still feel in a bit of a limbo phase of like the after effects of having dealt with 
lockdown and, and COVID. And it's not, there's no, there's no end as such. Um, it's now kind of what we navigate and what we're, it's just part of everyday life. But things are, some things are different. Some things are the same. Um, some places are business as usual, but then some people are doing things differently. And so it still feels like a little bit, um, just different I don't what do you think we're sort yeah we're still finding our way we've still it like in college we're still navigating you know absences from staff and students but it's um it's not like it used to be it's not like it was in the lockdown it's just new and fresh and I think that's good it brings us opportunities doesn't it but yeah I can't quite put my finger on it yeah I'm the same and I'm, I'm usually good at words um but I and I can't quite put my finger on it but I do see how hard people are working again um and it, and it just never it never stopped everyone always has, I've always seen people working so hard in FE to make things work um but now we're sort of navigating different challenges um similar challenges and like you say a lot of it relates to staff absence or illness and student absence or illness um, and then a big thing, and I'm sure we'll get into this at some point in the series, because I've been focusing on it for my MPhil, is, you know, retention of staff and well-being of staff. Really big, interesting topic, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I really want to talk about that. That is very interesting, something I'm really keen just at, for myself to like to sustain my own career in FE like it's important um I want to stay in this job or you know stay in this sector so it's got to be sustainable so for selfish reasons as well as for everybody else yeah and I am hearing um I I talk to a lot of people um I mainly because I just like talking to people but you know I talk to people all over the country and there is a real acknowledgement that people are just leaving education they they have had enough and I don't it's not limited to FE it's it's primary it's secondary it's FE people are just like I've had enough I'm going to go do something else that is concerning like in the at the very least it makes me feel sad um because we're losing really good people but it's also just it's fascinating to me how we've been talking about teacher well-being, teacher workload for, well, I haven't been talking about it for 20 years, but when you look at some of the literature or the reading or the articles or what people are talking people have been talking about it forever, but it hasn't, hasn't changed. So, but what I do want to do, and we'll find a way to do this on the podcast, is talk to people maybe who have left recently and talk to those people about why and how and what they've gone on to do. And um, that would be really interesting, I think. And then the other thing I wanna do is talk to people or colleges who have, are really doing something different in terms of wellbeing for teachers. That would and, be fascinating, yeah. And for students, but I just really, you know, if we don't have um, happy staff, staff that are well, they can't do their best job and, um people kind of really struggle so yeah we'll we'll get to that somewhere in um the series and if anyone's out there and has left FE 
they might not listen to this podcast if they have but if they have or are thinking about it I'd be interested to talk to you um so but let's dive into um some of the things we've been up to this month um let's start with you Isla what have you been up to well, when you like when we were preparing for this, I was like, oh, I don't know, I haven't been doing, <laughs> I haven't been doing anything. And then I started writing it down. I was like, oh, I've done a few things, a little, little bit. Um, I've well, as I said, I've been seconded recently, and I'm working on this amazing project. It's been really great fun working on it because it's mm-hmm. quite different to what I do day to day. But I've been creating resources for ESOL and sort of literacy learners who are at that sort of entry level cusp who want to go on to level one and level two vocational courses, but perhaps need an extra um, bit of support with their English skills. So we're creating like a series of online courses with um, that embed the English into construction, hair and beauty, business, and I'm thinking that there's one other and it's not coming to me, hair, construction, business, it's gone, it'll come back to me, but it's really, we're creating like online courses so that's using um I can't remember anything now I'm like recording uh, using an online platform that's a nice generic <laughs> term. yeah but we're writing the materials as English practitioners and working with vocational tutors so we're keeping it really relevant to the courses and what the students need hopefully to enable them to go much more successfully onto those level one and two programs because all too often particularly ESOL students I see they want to do the vocational subjects really quickly Mm. but they go up and do it and there's a big shock from going from a full-time ESOL course where you're getting 16 hours of ESOL a week basically to then going on to a level one or two vocational program with one hour of English a week is a real struggle and it's the same for our native speakers who maybe have struggled with English at school Mm -hmm. and then find themselves at college and having to like you know fit a GCSE retaking with it um, and then struggling and then not being able to progress so that project has been amazing because it's just like making lessons all day and playing with technology and making them online so that's been fab Um, that's been like my main thing and then doing a little bit of coaching and mentoring on North Star for AP Connect and um always writing the snippets for the Joy FE magazine which is always a little bit of light relief and fun and sort of most recently I've just finished a project with the ETF writing some materials on um, how to support lower level GCSE English learners Mm. because I think more and more people are finding that they're teaching GCSE but um, the students aren't that level They're, they're, Mm. they're all over the place. Um, so we've created a resource, hopefully, that will support um, teachers to better um, support their learners to progress in the GCSE English. Um, I have like lots of feelings about the, <laughs> this, but hopefully it will help. Yeah, I, so that's what I would really um, actually like to explore that a little bit because it's something that I think about quite often is how can we do things differently in maths and English how can we do that in terms of better for the students but also how can we do things better or differently to support staff because I just feel like it's such a challenge um and there's all sorts of you know reasons um we could go down the route saying well um 
you know, we're, we're restricted in the way that we have to deliver things or, but actually I'm always interested in solutions and I'm always interested in just doing things differently, um, but more interested in how we can support staff. So um, I'd be interested to explore that actually a little bit. Um, before we do, I did the same, which is, I was thinking about what I'd done in the last month and then was like, oh, I'm not sure. And then I'm like, Seth, you've done you've done so much stuff. So I wrote a few things down. Um, I think what's been really interesting for me is going into colleges and doing um, curriculum review days. So what's interesting is I always try to take a really different vibe to quality review because quality review can feel quite heavy, a bit scary, a bit pressure for staff because I'm so aware of the pressure that's on staff, try to take a different vibe to that and very much um, use like a professional coaching approach and a professional coaching model. Um, but some of the stuff that I've done recently um, in construction engineering departments and apprenticeships for construction engineering, like quality review days, the best bits have been when I've been talking to the students and I, I you know, we have um, student focus groups and they talk to me about what they've been learning and how it's been. And um, I just really enjoy getting to know what works well for students. What do they like doing? Um, and none of that is rocket science, actually. But I also like asking them about what they don't enjoy or how it could be better. Um, and like I said, there isn't a lot of magic to that, but it, but some of these things are still not always there um, for lots of different reasons. But, you know, having consistency and structure and, um, you know, the students sensing ambition from their tutors is something that they always talk about is, you know, that tutors want the best for them. Tutors are sort of providing opportunities that uh, you know really challenges them they like it when the structure they like it when they know what's coming they like it when things feel planned and organized um and they like that learning outside of the qualification as well I just love those conversations um, they've been great and then the other things I've been doing is working with curriculum managers on like culture development at curriculum level and how to build quality improvement models at a local level because often and, and this comes from um observation if you like that we often see quality as this other team this team of people or sometimes not even a team is it sometimes it's like just one or two people or one and a half people but it's this team that does stuff and often people feel like it's a team that does stuff to them, um, go and measure stuff, do observations. Um, but actually, when you adopt a quality model that kind of like filters through the whole organization and you support curriculum managers to understand what that can look like from a very supportive point of view. Um, and we've been exploring uh, I've got the book actually next to me on the desk, which is um, we've been exploring collaborative professionalism. So we've been exploring at curriculum level. What does that look like in terms of collaborative professionalism, where everyone is sort of working towards the same goal of improving the quality of teaching and learning for the benefit of the students, but also for the benefit of the staff. So in terms of supporting each other, helping each other, sharing resources, 
because I still, while we see it everywhere in education, some people are still reluctant to share, even though they know it would, if, if there is a mutual sharing and a mutual collaboration, everyone benefits because you have access to more resources, more conversations, more ideas, more help. And actually we can make our lives easier if we just build that sort of um, approach to things. But that's me in my, you know, idealistic world. I live there, I'm quite happy there. Um, but I also see that it's doable because once curriculum managers or curriculum leads change what they do within teams, they very quickly see the benefits of that. Um, and then they wonder why they never did it before. I love that. What what what's the book? Oh, so the book is this one. Um, for those who listen on audio, it's um collaborative professionalism when teaching together means learning for all by Andy Hargreaves and Michael T. O'Connor. So it's only a, a thin book, so it's it doesn't take you know it's like not one that takes forever to read. But what I love about it, and Andy and Michael are on Twitter, um, and there's a website as well. Um, Andy Hargreaves has got a website and what it what it document or what it talks about is how what collaborative professional professionalism is and so the notion of what that is and what that means and where it kind of came from but then it gives five chapters on how to maybe do that in different ways and five examples from around the world so one of them for example is open class so, and what they mean by that is where other teachers come in to watch a class, but also parents. And so there's and there's some descriptions of like a class running and then almost like a small audience around the sides, which feels really strange, doesn't it? Like it feels really strange as a, as a concept, but if that becomes normal, and then what they talk about is how the, the dialogue is very much about, it's not about judgment, it's about what those people saw, what they thought was, you know, great, what they enjoyed about the lesson. Um, it's not about judging what's going on. It's just, it's about observing and noticing and having a discussion that might lead somewhere. Um, so, and, and there's all sorts of, there's, like I said, there's five sort of big examples, including one of my favorite favorites is about collaborative planning. So I think that's really powerful and really underutilized is, and they talk about collaborative planning networks where, for example, and imagine if it would happen, is that um, ESOL department from your college, from five, six other colleges, or maybe just three or four at a time, you actually got together and you thrashed out like all your schemes of learning for different levels and you shared expertise and shared skills and but you set out with an intention to um I don't you well you could have all sorts of intentions couldn't you, you could be more innovative or you could be more supportive or you, it could be about supporting students to make better progress it could be whatever but imagine coming together as groups of colleges because they talk about it in here where they came together to literally thrash out their schemes of learning I love that idea because I'm thinking I'm more like we already do it in sort of micro ways across social media. We share a resource mm -hmm. and things like that. But 
that's a br- that's a brilliant idea I'm like my mind is starting to like fizz with possibilities I just love the sound of it collab collaborating I love it like where I've taught the same level as someone um within my team where we've got to sit together and plan together I always find that so much more engaging as a process rather than sitting there thinking I've got to fill out some sort of table scheme of work on my own it doesn't feel live to me but when you talk about it and you share ideas you get excited about it so that's that's brilliant yeah I love it I love it and I want to jump to and we'll we'll explore that in in as we go along because it's it's this thing that I've read and really shifted some of my thinking actually and and where I'm um promoting this approach or working with people to figure out what does that mean for them at curriculum level for example um as people are implementing it I want to I do want to report in on what they've done and how they've done it so it'll be really good to kind of keep exploring that because I think um it's similar isn't it to Matthew Said's book about rebel ideas and having the more people around the table who don't necessarily agree you don't have to agree on everything um but we've got a common goal or a common aim or a common interest the more people who sit around that table and, and debate it the the more impact we can have or the more support we can get for each other and I just I think it's just in education we still we talk talk about collaboration a lot but I think there's an art to it um there's tokenistic collaboration that just doesn't and I think maybe maybe I'm just thinking out loud that's why people have got sick of the word collaboration I mean I'm making an assumption that they've got sick of the word collaboration there but you sometimes see people go "Mm, what does that mean and what does that actually look like because when it's tokenistic um maybe people don't get out of it what they think they want to get out of it so yeah it'd be interesting to explore that a little bit more I'm interested Isla in um, the project that you mentioned about um was it creating resources and support for teachers who teach lower level learning uh, so this is an um an ETF um project really that they it's created a resource we've created Mm -hmm. a resource for teachers um Mm -hmm. and maybe heads of department really um who want to support their teams of English teachers to support lower level learners so I mean lower level learners as in um there's quite a broad range I mean people affected by the pandemic and missed out on education Mm -hmm. ESOL learners of course and that's like my specialty and where I get quite excited about it but also um you know just lower lower level learners maybe with learning difficulties or additional needs um so the whole spectrum really but they're there they're in our classes and they're doing GCSEs and they're on level two and level three and even higher programs and they still haven't got their um baseline GCSEs and teachers are now I mean we talked about it earlier you said you'd gone into some classes and they've got the full spectrum from like entry level one, two, three, level one, level two GCSE. So you're really having to differentiate. So we're hoping that this is going to be a really useful resource. It kind of defines those learners and why they're there. So we've got the pandemic. We've also got ESOL learners who are coming in as asylum seekers and refugees um, who may have had like 
limited experiences of education, no education, or loads of education. Um, even that in itself is like a microcosm of um, differentiation. Yeah. Uh, but um, so the resource goes through really, I like it because it's practical, lots, it splits up what we consider to be the core reading and writing sort of building blocks that okay. students need. I think if you have been teaching GCSE um, in the mainstream and everyone has been just below GCSE level and ready to take the exam, um, that perhaps you wouldn't be aware of um, some of the the nuances and the, the needs of the lower level learners that are now sitting in your classes. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, lots of teachers have taught across a broad range of levels, but it's a hard job in an hour, an hour and a half if you're lucky a week to get learners through an exam that they've failed many, many, uh, like often multiple times. I mean, let me just get it out. I don't agree <laughs> with it. I think it's terrible. I don't know why they're doing GCSE in FE colleges. They should be allowed to just do functional skills, which is a much more practical qualification that enables them to get the English that they need to work rather than to worry about literature and linguistic features that really aren't, won't necessarily be applied in their every working day life. Mm -hmm. But to put that aside, that is what everyone is doing. That is what the government have dictated to us. Um, and that is what colleges are now doing. So in the majority, every mm -hmm. student that enrolls on a vocational course has got to get their GCSE. Um, and um, so there's lots so there's lots of them. So we go through lots of practical strategies. Some of the ones I worked on, the team are amazing. So I was coming from a perspective of like low level ESOL learners, low level literacy learners. Um, but we had some GCSE teachers on the team who've been in the thick of it, teaching these learners in class. And they've got some great ideas with games and techniques that you can try. Some of the things I wrote about was things like um, increasing uh, people's like love of reading, reading for pleasure. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you encourage students to do that in an hour a week? And, and what can you what can you do to sort of um, incite a love of reading? And actually I've been pinching lots of ideas from my colleagues at college who are GCSE teachers who've been doing things like, sounds really basic. And I know they do this at my daughter's school, but first 10 minutes of the lesson, bring a book, read it, just so that they are getting into the habit of reading, making sure that learners know that there's like a huge wide range of materials out there. It doesn't have to be the classics. You can be reading like the sports fixtures online if you really want to. <gasps> Bit boring for me, but like if that taps you into text and then you start reading the commentary and the way that the language is used, then mm -hmm. great, you're reading. Um, so reading for pleasure, like there was, there's been tons of research on this and every bit of it says that, you know, if the ch the children or the young people are readers, then they their attainment is higher. Yeah. Um, so a little bit about that. Also things like, well, I, I feel like everything I ever go on that's recorded online, I talk about word wall and they still <laughs> haven't employed me. But <laughs> it's this amazing like free online tech tool that you can create brilliant resources with. And why I love it is it's it 
basically does what I've been doing for years, which in ESOL in English learning is called DARTS, Directed Activities Related to Text. Yeah. And it's about breaking down text so that people process them better. So when you would normally maybe be teaching a higher level learner, you go in, you expect them to read and comprehend the text. Mm. The learners you've got in the class now, they can't even comprehend it. They're not understanding the text. So they need activities first to break that text down and to get into it. So we are talk a bit about that using WordWall, which does things like gap fills and ordering sentences in a fun way. You can give them a QR code, they scan it, they can do it on their phone, but it enables them to interact with the text before they, see, I'm really excited about it. You're laughing at me. But... No, no, I just love it because sometimes I get in that space and I love it when, I love it when other people get in that space. But it it's it also because I'm so excited about it because like five years ago, a lot of what I did in the staff room was sit there with a pair of scissors and a piece of paper, cutting up lots of bits of paper that we would I then remember. put together. I, I love a kinesthetic activity. Yeah, I do. Learning styles not so much, but I love a kinesthetic activity. And um that now that does it online and it does yeah. it automatically for you. And it's a brilliant tool. But yeah, directed activities related to the text because the learners have to explore, understand, comprehend the text before they can then analyze and synthesize it. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that they were like the main bits I worked on, along with like vocabulary and how you understand it recognizing that you know um entry level learners will not you know there'll be a certain percentage of the text mm -hmm. they won't understand and then you you need to understand i think i can't there is a percentage but you need to understand quite a high percentage of text to um fully comprehend it and if you don't then you're stuck and then that means you're never going to go above a certain level at gcse so you've the teachers have got to do so much in their lessons now and this breaks it down and offers you some different ways you can differentiate your learning so yeah it's is that I like I'm energized by talking about that because on paper it sounds a bit boring but I think it's hugely relevant learners uh, that we're getting now in colleges have had huge gaps in their learning mm -hmm. and it's not in what in the ways we would think it would be and it's they're presenting themselves in in different ways and also, I think there's huge amounts to be done with well-being as well. But um, yeah, so that's what I've been working on with the GCSE project. Yeah, I love that. And um, I've been in, into maths and English lessons recently. And I have been into English lessons where, as you were saying, uh, we mentioned before, is all these different levels of learners. And what I did say, I saw something that was really great. And I thought, oh, this is um, maybe a bit different. But underneath it when I talked to the teacher about it she'd really built um sort of an open trusting learning environment because what I saw was that she was very explicit about what skills were required for the different levels very openly in the group and I thought that's interesting because sometimes when you've got mixed a mixed group maybe sometimes we try to sort of hide that there's a difference um, and we're trying to do that sort of implicitly as a teacher which can be really hard work but actually what I saw was it was very explicit but there wasn't a ceiling on it as such so it wasn't like oh you're entry two level learner and therefore you don't need to do this it but it, it there was no in there was no 
like I said, there's no ceiling on it, but it meant that each of the different learners at different levels were very clear about what was required for them to achieve that next level. And I do think there's something really great about balancing that, that being explicit about, and, and I'm talking in all the spaces that I'm working in the minute, whether it be FE apprenticeships, HE, whatever, about knowledge, skills and behaviours. And so I think it's really important that we're very explicit about that with learners so that they know what they're trying to aim for, what the expectation is, but also balance it with, with removing the glass ceiling, if you like. And that can be very... Um, that can be very subtle in just the way that you pitch a question or the way that you pick use language around expectation and and, and achievement um, but I thought that was great and I think obviously I've not seen the stuff that you've produced as a project but anything that helps teachers to understand the different skill level at the different levels so that they can think about well what does that mean for their teaching when it comes to vocational classes I think anything that helps do that, I think, is useful because as a teacher, like you say, you might just expect learners to be able to read, comprehend and therefore understand what's going on. But actually, that really might not be the case with the learners in front of you. So um, anything that helps teachers see the differences between um, the skills that students may or may not have will then help them to think about how they approach that in their lessons um I, I really like what you you were saying really about the the almost the culture that teachers have got to create in their lessons because we mustn't forget that also these are the classes that are poorly attended that learners don't want to have like it it's either maths or English isn't it and I would be the one that wouldn't be going to maths but it's the it, you know these are the, they're the hard to reach learners they didn't come to college to do English or math yeah. they don't want to do it and now they're being sat down in class and having to do it but to be it's an amazing job that people are doing already yeah. um because learners have felt like failures and you've got to sort of try and open it up so that they're just nudging along and making progress and that's whilst I don't think it's the right qualification and I don't like it one thing about GCSE is we can we can just show a little bit of progress each time we can nudge them up and you can I you've got to have a nice open environment with your learners where everyone is learning everyone is progressing but at their own rate and at their own pace well well we could talk about this there's loads in there actually because we could talk about how do we create um a sense of different culture different approach when they come into FE so they don't see it as more of the same and we could we actually could get into that um in a lot of detail but I think there's something important to think about um how we build those relationships with students and I, I say it's as easy as but I think sometimes we don't say things to students that we think we think they know, but they wouldn't know unless we say it. So um, whatever our ethos is around English and maths as a college, we need to communicate that to the students because often we haven't decided what our ethos is. We haven't decided what our difference is and therefore we don't communicate it to students. What we tell them is you've got to attend maths and English, you've got to achieve, it's really important. And then they're like, 
I'm not sure about that. I think that building the relationship is so key. It's like um, a lovely project that some lecturers at our college have been doing mm. is teach the teachers. And they've got in construction and plastering, they've got they've made time for like the maths and the English teachers to come down to the workshop and the students were teaching them some plastering. And whilst they're doing that, of course, the teachers are highlighting more well, uh, you using maths there or this is English. And um, but it it's not about the embedding it's about them being together in a different space where the learners are the expert and they're in their place the, the staff are in the place of fear and so that they can sort of build a an honest equal relationship with each other and you know it's so hard if you're only in there an hour a week to build a relationship with a class that you don't see very often and that's so key it's something that's really emerged to me in the last few years and I've been teaching for over 16 years now and I used to struggle I used to teach English across college with behavior and I thought it was something that you got out of a book and it was about certain things strategies that you do but now it's so clear to me that it's all about them knowing that you care about them really and building that strong relationship where they know you care and that you're there to help and support them and then if they know that then you can be strict you can do you know hard things because they know they're in that bubble of support yeah. yeah I love that and isn't that um, a great induction activity because people go into term three thinking about September where the students teach the t or they get going and then the students teach the teachers mm. stuff that they've learned maybe in the first two weeks um so you're just building these and that doesn't have to be math just maths and English team that can be all sorts of 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 people can it can be the student um support team it could be ALS team it could be um it could be any team that where that relationship with students is important you embed that as a key part of induction um, yeah that just gave me a great idea yeah because also like it could be for ESOL it's like what about if you like but missions well we, we're going to sit you down and we're going to teach you arabic now yeah. just the basics and see how you would how if i went through in arabic what it what it feel when when you get to the college and you have to enroll if i presented this to you what would you do how would you navigate it so that they can just feel and experience what it's like to be in the other shoes yeah. and that you, that's it for everything i just i just love that theme yeah. brilliant well we'll leave everyone with that um that bit of thinking actually and because we will another thing we've got plenty to talk about another thing to talk about in in term three is induction as people work through um because people are always saying oh well what what is what should we do in induction and how should we do it and it's the how that is actually really important um and I think a lot of that relationships and community building is is where I go into colleges where they've nailed that and students feel supported and energized um about their experience they have really good attendance and really good engagement so um brill we'll leave it there um so we'll see you all next time or hear you all next no yeah you'll hear us next time okay thanks for listening to the teaching excellence podcast leave us a voice message in anchor Tweet us and let us know what you think or what you want to hear on the show. Tune in next week for more. 
Have an amazing week and be the best version of you.